Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At TalkSport, we absolutely love it when our fans get stuck in. That's why we want you to join us in the dugout, a brilliant new TalkSport listener community. It's a place where you can tell us what sports you're into and who your favourite teams are. And tell us what you think we could do better, like big guests and new sports and that. You could win an Amazon voucher for taking part. What are you waiting for? Visit TalkSport.com slash dugout and get stuck in. 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. On DAB, digital radio, online and on 1089 and 1053 AM. Icon of all sporting broadcast media and jolly nice chap to boot. Motty Meats on Talk Sport. I'm John Motson and on this edition of Motty Meats, we're celebrating the life and times of Brian Clough with his son Nigel, who's had quite a career of his own. Played into Webb. Awkward. And Clough was at the far post and it's 3-2. Nigel Clough may have given his father and his team a win bonus here. Dictators are out, but I would love to be the perfect dictator. And I am very happy having scored 250 league goals quicker than anybody else in the Football League. But when you used to work for us, Brian, and you were on television, as you say, in a, in a panellist capacity, I mean, you used to talk about games afterwards and voice an opinion and have your say. As a critic. Mm, critically um, sometimes. Far yeah. more qualified than you or any of your colleagues. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Just a snippet of my famous interview with Brian Clough back in 1979, when Nottingham Forest ruled Europe and Cluffy was undoubtedly at the peak of his powers one of the most recognisable people, not just in football, but in British society. Well, more about that interview later, but Nigel, first of all, you were born in Sunderland a few months before England's 1966 World Cup triumph, and just after your dad's playing career had ended prematurely through injury and he was making his way in the managerial game at Hartlepool. What do you remember of your dad in the very early years of your life? I don't remember anything of the northeast being up in Sunderland. Uh, Simon, my brother, uh, he remembers it being a couple of years older. Um, he remembers sort of a, uh, just just a, f- a few things about where we lived and things like that. But uh, no, I just remember coming down to Derby uh, in the what were we, late 60s, 67, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really sort of after then, uh, I don't remember too much of our time in the northeast. And then, so never seeing my dad as a player or anything like that it was always uh, always as a manager uh, f- from when he came to Derby you would have heard things about him as a player presumably yes, would mostly, you? I mean, mostly from him <laughs> of course the stats are amazing I mean uh, yeah, staggering Middlesbrough and Sunderland 204 goals in 222 games for Middlesbrough 63 and 74 for Sunderland two England caps and then of course uh, that cruciate ligament injury, which in those days meant the end of your career, and uh, it certainly was for Brian. Yeah. Um, he, he was always very proud of the 250 league goals, being the quickest to 250 league goals that he was in 270 odd games. Ever? Yes, mm. yeah. He was always extremely proud of that uh, and mentioned it quite often, as you would expect, uh, and the fact that it only yielded two England caps. Yes. Uh, that was the other side, the flip side of it. Yeah. Uh, he thought he deserved more England caps uh, than he got. Because purely because of his goal scoring, whether it was because he was at unfashionable club, sort of at Middlesbrough at the time, and uh, but he used to say scoring goals is scoring goals, and to score that many and not get the recognition internationally uh, was probably a precursor to his. Uh, uh, dealings with the FA and the international scene well, later on. We'll, we'll certainly come on to that. Now, when he started at the bottom, as it were, in management, really, which is where Hartlepool were, he, he took with him Peter Taylor, who I think had been manager here at Burton. Yes, he yeah. had, yeah. Um, did he ever reflect on his time at Hartlepool? Yes, very fondly. He always recognised the part that it played, the sort of foundation it gave him, because once you've been to somewhere like Hartlepool, where he had to drive the bus and... 
you do it. You do everything, uh, you know. And the aim also was not to not to apply for re-election. Uh, that was the club's aim each season. Uh, and if they did finish, you know, usually they were re-elected. There was no automatic promotion and relegation from the from the conference as it is now. So uh, he talked very fondly uh, of it uh, being extremely hard work, but absolutely necessary to go on and do what he did in later uh, in management. Well, in May 1967, having done that apprenticeship, Brian and Peter Taylor took over at Derby County. Now, Derby had been stuck in the second division for a decade when they arrived. I've got a memory, uh, Nigel, of seeing you as a small boy kicking the ball around in the gym. Would that have been at the baseball ground? Yeah, they had something called the shooting box. Uh, at the old ground, at the, at the baseball ground, which was just a very small sort of room with a, a matting sort of uh, surface on it. And it was literally just, a, it was a, a box where the players, and it had black and white sort of uh, squares, which you would aim for different ones on the back wall. Uh, and that's where it was, a shooting box. Uh, and we, yeah, we used to spend hours in there uh, as youngsters, just, just kicking a ball. And then the players, obviously, after training, will be doing the same sort of thing, right foot, left foot. I don't think there's one included in modern-day football and training grounds and everything no. that they build these days. No. Uh, but the old shooting box was... Uh, it had a smell. It, 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 seriously, a nice aroma about it, you know, of, of what a football sort of... That sort of thing should be, you know, sweat and hard work and everything. And because of the, the matting, uh, envisage it now, even from such a small age, a young age. Do any names come back to you of the players who were around then who you might have met as, as a boy? Yeah, the old Dave Mackay used yeah. to go in there, uh, <laughs> certainly, you know, and then, you know, you've got your John O'Hares and your Roy McFarlands and, and people like and John McGovern, uh, all who used to go in. And you'd have little games, you know, who could hit what square and stuff like that uh, in there. But as kids, it, it was lovely just uh, going in there and, you know, smashing a ball around. It was, uh, it, it was, it was brilliant. Well, Derby were on the march now. I mean, uh, your father and, and, and Peter Taylor had got a team together. And, and I mean, um, th- they led them to the second division title in 1969. And three years later, it uh, doesn't seem very long, does it? Derby won the actual first division championship. And um, I wonder what your memories were of that, because I believe you and the family were on holiday in the Scilly Islands when the results somewhere else made Derby champions. That's it. We were some, we were certainly somewhere down there. I'm not sure if it was Tresco or the Silly Eyes. Is that the same one? I'm yeah, not same sure. thing. Yeah, same yeah, thing. Yeah, right. somewhere, somewhere Bob Wilson down there. did an interview with your dad down the line. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Because we were going to all the exotic holiday resorts in those days, <laughs> flying, jetting off here, there and everywhere. Uh, yeah, we used to drive. Uh, my dad would drive to Penzance. And then we would get the ferry over or uh, or even a helicopter, two or three would maybe get a helicopter. And we used to go with his mum and dad. Um, and it was, a, it was a long old way. You needed a holiday once you got there. But uh, we were out there when uh, the news came through. It's unthinkable these days that games will be played a deciding game on the final day of the season wouldn't kick off at the same time. Mm. Uh, but that was how it was. Uh, and it came through. I think Wolves, did Wolves beat Leeds or... Yes, I mean, Leeds lost to Wolves and yeah. Liverpool drew at Arsenal. That, that's really what set it up. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, yeah, and then the one... And I remember, obviously, the, uh, there was a lot of... Not nerves, but um, every, everybody was just wanted the results to go your way on the final day. Uh, but the holiday was booked and off we went. Now, the following season, Derby were in the European Cup. Now, obviously, Brian was to have fantastic success in that with Forrest later. But they lost to Juventus in the semi-final. Can you remember that, just about? Yes, uh, certainly remember the uh, the home leg more uh, because I think Derby lost three uh, one over there in mm. the first leg, uh, and in being adamant uh, and very agitated and animated when they came back, they'd booked Ryan McFarland I think, which meant he missed the the second leg, and they played the home game. I think it was nil nil, got knocked out. Roger Davis missed a penalty. I think so. Uh, in that game, so that even even with everything going against them, they still they still could have gone through. Uh, but more than anything, it was compounded because I think the next I think it was that night they got the phone call that his mum died, uh, having lost the semi final. Uh, so I think there was a uh, something overtook it uh, certainly in terms of that. Uh, and he, he referred to it many, many years later, I think, when we were here at Burton in the early years and we lost a few games, and uh, he said something along the way. He said, imagine how I feel. <laughs> he said, imagine how I felt after using the, losing the semi-final and then finding out my mum had died as well. Uh, so it was a particularly uh, tragic time. Mm. Now, later that year, October 1973, Brian and Peter Taylor resigned at Derby, and, of course, that made 
massive headlines that reverberated on for days. The players protested. I mean, everybody who was around at that time, and I can remember it, knew what a big story it was. What was it like for you and the family at that time? One memory I do have is that all the players coming around to the house, uh, where we were in Ferrer's Way in Alastry, uh, Darley Abbey in Derby, and uh, serving them uh, drinks in our pyjamas. And they had the majority of the, the squad because there wasn't a big squad. It's not as if there was 20 odd like there is now, 30 players, you know. There's maybe 14, 15 players uh, all sort of squashed into the lounge. Uh, and I was going around serving them drinks and they were, they're trying to work out a way that, you know, that they would go back. Obviously, it never happened, uh, but it was, I think it was very close to happening on uh, on several occasions, uh, but never quite never quite happened and I think it's one of his biggest regrets he I think he said that he shouldn't have resigned and he shouldn't have gone and he always had a little bit of a hankering for many many years uh, to go back and sort of finish the job and uh, he felt it was unfinished business there but instead for a time he went down into the third division with Brighton I can remember a match when they lost at home quite heavily 8-2 yeah to Bristol Rovers and you were there on the bench and and in fact <laughs> Memory tells me that you appeared on the television with him the following day. Quite possibly, yeah. And uh, I think Warboys and Bannister were the two strikers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Brighton lost 8-2 at home. And uh, Yeah, and then he still sort of went to a, to a TV commitment the next day. It was always very, uh, even when you'd lost whatever the thing, if he was agreed to do something, he would turn up and do it. And uh, very difficult sometimes when you've just, when you've just lost 8-2 to do that. But yeah, it wasn't wasn't a nice thing. But I tell you what, we had a good. He enjoyed Brighton. He, he enjoyed working down there. He enjoyed the chairman, being with the chairman, Mike, Mike Bamba, Bamba, yeah, uh, and the directors and everything. And I think the feel of everything, the club down there was was good. And uh, we were two weeks from moving. Uh, we got a house down there and everything. And we were in Mallorca, I think, when the Leeds. Uh, we'd gone up in the world. We'd gone from the silly Isles and we'd we'd ventured as far as Mallorca in those days. Uh, so we were in uh, on holiday when the Leeds uh, job came up. He flew home, came back, uh, said he was taking the job, and we never got to move into the house in Brighton. And we were all looking forward to living by the seaside. Motty meets with Nigel Clough, a Brian Clough special on Talk Sport. Well, it, it didn't last very long either at Leeds, did it? The, nope. f- the forty-four days. Um, I mean, I. I personally didn't really enjoy the damned United. I didn't think it really reflected what went on at all. But anyway, it was a we've film. Ne- we've never seen it. It was I a never film. Read the book. Never seen it. I know it upset my mother. But 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 just that brief period in your father's life. What 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 do you remember about the Leeds experience? Uh, going up with him at the time and him being quite excited, I think, because of the size of the club and everything uh, that were in Europe. The test was obviously taken over from. Uh, Don Revy, uh, who was probably the absolute opposite to uh, in so many ways. But I think that cha- that was the challenge that appealed to him. And he said, you know, he, he wanted to repeat the success, but he wanted to do it in a different way. He wanted to do it that he in a way that he thought was better. Uh, but he didn't obviously get that opportunity. It was one of those situations where it was either going to, you know, click and happen or you need a little bit of time to win everybody over, especially the players and everything, uh, in order for it to work. And that didn't happen. Not all the players were certainly against him there. Uh, and there's still some who who say that they wish they'd had the opportunity to, to work with him longer. Well, the people that did get a chance to work with him longer, of course, were the players at Nottingham Forest, because uh, Brian took over there um, after leaving Leeds. And, well, it was it, it, it almost became success all the way didn't it I mean when he took over in January 1975 Forest were well I wouldn't say run of the mill but they were n- nothing special in the old second division no, were they bottom half of the second division mm. I think they were getting what 12 or 13,000 if that's something uh, crowds of that nature uh, and there was just a I think a feeling around the place I think similar to Derby a few years earlier as well when he went there uh, that everything just needed picking up uh, and leading and in a certain direction uh, and that's what he was uh, so brilliant at so he'd done it uh, seven or eight years earlier at Derby uh, and he fancied his chances of doing it again at, uh, at Forest and was rejoined by Peter Taylor yeah, yeah. very important because 
Peter, I think when they were at Brighton together, he, he enjoyed it down there as well, Peter did. And when my dad went to Leeds, uh, he said, I don't want to do Europe again. That was the, the thing. Um, so he stayed down at Brighton. And it was obviously a pivotal uh, moment when he agreed to uh, join him at Forest because it wasn't initially. I don't think he, he didn't come in straight away, did no. he, in January 75? No, it was a little bit later down it, the line. It was. It was. Your, your, your dad persuaded him to come back. Yeah. And then, then it took off. Forest won the League Cup. In 1978, they beat Liverpool in a replay. They retained the League Cup in 79, beating Southampton at Wembley. And now, of course, we're into the, the real glory because it was in 1979 that Nottingham Forest won the European Cup, beating Malmo in Munich. Yep. It's incredible how important that first one was, the League Cup beating Liverpool. Liverpool by far the best team uh, in Europe at the time. And they ruled, they ruled Europe. Uh, and to have them in the League Cup final... Um, with a few players, I think Cup tie. I don't think Peter Shilton was available. I think Chris Woods played in goal uh, for that tie. Um, winning the replay, 1-0 at Old Trafford. So they've gone 180 minutes against Liverpool and more. Uh, and Liverpool hadn't scored. I think that set them up for the belief that they could go on and challenge Liverpool. Because I don't think any other team could have done that in those few years period. Liverpool were that far ahead. Mm. Uh, so I think that first one, that first League Cup uh, replay win was absolutely massive for the club and the belief of the players. And of course, they retained the European Cup the following year, didn't they, beating Hamburg. By now, Nigel, your father was, to say the least, a famous public figure. Um, how did you feel about that and what was he like at home? We didn't see that much of him, <laughs> as you would imagine, uh, because as well as, as doing the job that he was doing, he was doing other things as well and was in demand for, for TV and appearances and everything. So uh, we, we didn't see uh, as much of him as, as, as we would have liked at times, but it was completely understandable uh, to that degree of to achieve that degree of success. You're not going to do it working three or four hours a day. You know, you're going to have to be there all, all hours. And it wasn't just being there, it was doing other things as well um, in order to, to do the job to, to that level. Uh, so it was completely understandable, you know, and we, we still, our mum was brilliant. And uh, we had a, I wouldn't say a normal <laughs> upbringing. Uh, the fact as well that we were uh, living in Derby at the time, uh, we'd never actually got to move. Uh, we moved across the road once uh, from the first house we came to in 1967, literally moved 20 yards across the road. Uh, so we were still there until the early 80s. Went to school in Derby, just a local comprehensive, which was all very good, well and good when he's managing somewhere else or uh, down the road, obviously at Derby. But when he goes to the arch rivals, <laughs> Forest, and you're going to school in Derby, uh, that can be a testing time. You mentioned earlier the thought that maybe your dad had one or two recriminations about never going back to Derby mm. as manager. It nearly happened, you know. There was yes. one afternoon when I came down with a television crew, the people were in the streets outside the baseball ground, and he yep. and Peter Taylor were inside discussing a possible return. Yes. But they stayed at Forest. Very close, and he wanted to in lots of ways. Um, what was, occasionally, we would discuss things as a family. It wasn't, you know, we'd all sit around a table and say, you know, this is, what are we doing there about this and that. Uh, but occasionally, we would all sit down and he would say, what do you think? And that was one where I certainly remember. George Hardy, I think, was the chairman at the chairman. time. Yes, uh, and I remember him coming up to the house again in Ferrers Way, where we were, in his white Rolls Royce, uh, parking outside and coming in and talking to my dad and trying to persuade him. And... That was afterwards we sat down and uh, <laughs> one thing that had upset, not upset me dad but irked him a little bit was George Hardy said we'd love you to come back but we've got no money and he says well you can sell your white Rolls Royce then <laughs> and well, he was pleading poverty and he said if you want me back that badly mm. uh, and I think that was a little bit of a, a doubt in his mind but also what we I remember is that we, we said to him was we think, was it mid 70, oh, obviously yeah. 77, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We think that something could be happening, at, you know, things were looking good at Forest. Yes, they were. Uh, and give that a little bit. But he, he did have a hankering of going back because of, I think, the way it finished. But it didn't work out that way. No. Nope. No. Now, by now, Brian was a huge personality on television as well. Um, you know, he's gone beyond just being a football manager. And, of course, those of us that were lucky enough to get interviews with him would, would never have forgotten them. And believe me, I've had a bit of experience with this. He could be quite confrontational. I think we find football too much on television. Uh, you and your colleagues are turning us off from family entertainment on a Saturday night by lecturing us at the moment. Um, we're Could you enlarge on that? I'd love to. 
We used to sit down and all look forward to it in comfort on a Saturday. I think you're becoming too deep. I think you're setting yourselves up as judge and jury. I think you've gone over the dividing line where you have a contribution to make to one of being dogmatic, uh, overbearing, boring, and you can keep going. I know it's difficult to um, justify a non-non, for example, or to bill it as match of the day, but if that's what you get when you take your cameras to a ground, then show the non-non. Don't try and uh, justify it or pick things out and bore us all to tears with your lectures. Well, you're talking about analysis of individual incidents, are you, or what? Yes, and I'm talking about the people who run your show, you, your colleagues and Jim and, you know, all that type of thing. If we want a serious discussion on most things, you know, for half an hour, we'll switch Shirley Williams on. But when you used to work for us, Brian, and you were on television, as you say, in a, in a panellist capacity, I mean, you used to talk about games afterwards and voice an opinion and have your say... As a critic. Mm. Critically um, sometimes. Far yeah. more qualified than you or any of your colleagues. Where we used to look forward to going home and sitting in an armchair watching a bit of football and being entertained, we're now talking purely as a layman, a guy who, you know, pays your wages through my television fee. We're now not going home and enjoying it. We're not seeing as much football as we should, and we're getting too much of that, and I suggest you shut up and show more football. Now, if that's not in a nutshell, I don't know what is. But I think we do show the football, you see, and I think that if the football's a nil-nil, well, then we show a nil-nil, as we did last Saturday. Good lad. Well, there you are. That wasn't the only time he took issue with me, I'll tell you. Now, the story moves on a little bit here from your point of view, Nigel, because you were on your way towards becoming a professional footballer, but you didn't come through the normal route when you joined Nottingham Forest, did you? No, it wasn't good enough to join at 16, and I was strongly encouraged to stay on at school and do my A-levels. Right. So I didn't uh, do an apprenticeship. I just started playing when I was 18 for the, uh, had a few games for the reserves. So I know your, bro- your father insisted that you continue to play for the Parks team. Simon, your brother, yes. was running, didn't he? He did, yeah. So uh, on that first season when I made my debut in, I think, 84, Boxing Day. Yeah, against uh, Ipswich. Was that against a, Ipswich, 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 yes, yeah, yes. Which right. the, uh, the coincidence of the date wouldn't have been lost on him as well. Uh, with him being injured and f- his career yes, effectively being mm. finished on Boxing Day. Uh, yeah, having made my debut on Boxing Day, I was actually a non-contract player. Uh, so he said, you, you're not good enough, you don't deserve a contract, you're not getting one. Uh, and you started the season with your brother's team and you'll finish the season with them. So on some occasions I would play in what is the equivalent of the Premier League now and then turn out in the park on a Sunday afternoon oh, as a non-contract player. As an 18, 19-year-old who was breaking into a uh, a team and uh, could have walked away for absolutely nothing at any point from then. Well, you did become a regular in the Forest side during the 85-86 season. You were top scorer with 15 goals. Um, the following season, Forest finished eighth. You scored 14 league goals. They finished third in 1988 and 89. Um, semi-finals of the FA Cup in both those seasons, losing to Liverpool. What... Was it like playing under your dad? Uh, you know, until recently, it was. You just think about it from your own point of view, and uh, I still see one or two of the players, Gary Burtles especially, and everything. We have a laugh about it because he was he'd come back to the club in those days, and uh, I was joking with him the other night that uh, you soon learn that. When Gary was there, he was a very popular, with my dad and Peter, they, uh, they love Gary. And uh, I, I was joking with him that I wasn't even the most popular centre-forward at the club he was, you know, never mind, never mind the most popular son, because Simon was always that, being the firstborn. Uh, so he, so it was tough, but it was also tough for him. Uh, and I, I would think tougher, tougher for him in lots of ways, and it's only recently I've thought about this. So I think to introduce uh, your son into a dressing room of a few people with European Cup winning medals, Ian Bowyer, John Robertson, Gary Wiltles had come back to the club. Uh, it must have been very uh, sort of testing for him uh, to do that as well. Uh, and he actually did. I went down to meet Arthur Cox and Ryan McFarland, I think at the end of that first season before I'd actually uh, signed a contract. And he was quite keen on me sort of going to Derby or going somewhere else. Really? Uh, because he thought it would have been easier, uh, probably for us both. Now, 
as I said, we're in a run of success here for Forest. Two FA Cup semi-finals in succession. The first one, um, John Aldridge uh, scored twice. You replied. That was the 2-1. Now, the following season, of course, and we have to mention this, was Hillsborough, um, which is still going on after 30 years of the ramifications of that, and we don't want to go into all the legal issues. What was it like being on the sort of the other side, of it, as it were, of that match and, and the, the event just happening around you? That's what it was, just happening around us. We didn't know anything, uh, what was going on. You kick off an, F an FA Cup semi-final, the atmosphere is electric anyway. Uh, but you were, we were aware that something was happening down that end of, of supporters uh, sort of spilling onto the pitch and you have no idea. And then, you know, the referee sort of take us, takes us off the pitch. And we literally sat in the changing room for an hour, hour and a half, however, and had no knowledge of anything that was going on. Nobody nobody came in and told us, no police, no stewards, nobody at all. And in the end, uh, we said, my dad said, listen, he went to see the referee and said, this is too long, whatever's going on, we're going, you know. Uh, and it was agreed that the game would be called off. And it was only later when we got on the bus did we actually get any inkling at all of the scale of the tragedy. Uh, when we were leaving the ground, you hear wild things, but nobody actually told us anything. Well, but, sorry, it was a huge tragedy, honestly. Yes, and it's one of those. I, that, I, that, I, I know, and I, and I, I know anybody who was there uh, will never ever forget it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Motty Meets with Nigel Clough, a Brian Clough special on Talk Sport. Two years running, you won the League Cup again. You scored twice in the 3-1 win over Luton Town at Wembley. I think Neil Webb got the other goal. Um, and, and then the following year, you retained that trophy because you, uh, you beat Oldham. Yes, yeah, yeah, narrowly. Didn't play very well at all, certainly in the second one. The first one, I think we were 1-0 down at half-time and came back and managed to win. And uh, Neil Webb got us the winners of the penalty, or Stephen Hodge, I'm not sure which one. Uh, and then we, we came back and won. But the year after... Uh, the weight of expectation, I think we all felt a little bit. We were huge favourites to beat Oldham and uh, so we didn't play well at all. We nicked a 1-0 and won, uh, but my dad was far from happy after the game. Uh, we were in the next day training, uh, not just retraining, we were running. Uh, we had a running session the next day because he wasn't happy despite us winning the cup. He wasn't happy with the performance. Well, I'm not surprised because I remember once congratulating him on winning the League Cup and I remember him saying to me, oh, it's only the League Cup. We went home and put it on the top of the television and really, really kind of almost undervalued it, you know? Yeah, no, he didn't. He never did that, but he did take it home and put it on the TV and have fish, have fish and chips. Those stories, <laughs> were, story, yeah, yeah. those stories were true. That was the first one in 78 as well. Uh, okay. When they beat uh, Liverpool after the replay. But okay. yeah, but never underestimate. You weren't allowed to, um, although he said the league was always the priority, when you were playing you weren't allowed to sort of put anything in any order and say well it's only the league cup Ooh, nothing testimonials nothing it was a game of football well it was the fourth time that Oldham game that Nottingham Forest had won the league cup under Brian Clough but the one thing he didn't manage to win of course was the FA Cup mm -hmm. and that takes us on to the final in 1991 um, I mean you'd beaten West Ham 4-0 I remember in the semi-final and you, you were in good form um, It'll always be remembered as the final when Gaza got injured, won't it? Which rather takes it away from Forrest a little bit because Stuart Pearce put you ahead from that he free did, kick. With an absolutely typical brilliant free kick as well. Uh, but the, the Gascoigne moment going off uh, was the actual turning point of the game. If the referee had done his job uh, properly, Roger Milford that day, then he would have received a red card for his first challenge yes, on Gary Parker. I remember that. Where Gary Parker had stood marks all the way down his chest. And then he wouldn't have been on the pitch for the second one, uh, where he's absolutely whacked Gary Charles up in the air uh, and ended up injuring himself, uh, tragically. Uh, but to leave the pitch after two of the worst tackles you'll see on a football pitch, without so much as a yellow card, I don't care if it's a cup final or not, uh, was very, very poor referee. Oh, it's in! What a splendid shot by the Forest captain to give Brian Clough's team the lead in the cup final what Gascoigne did in the semi-final against Arsenal 
Pierce produces against Tottenham in the final. Superbly driven, Gascoigne still hobbling after giving away the free kick, from which Pierce puts Forrest into the lead. It's the perfect strike with the left foot. 16 minutes gone, Gascoigne is down, and the Tottenham physio rushing onto the pitch. Now we have all sorts of drama here. He looks to be in a bad way, and the substitute is already being prepared. The substitution changed it. I think they brought Paul Stewart on, and they were, they were a different team and got back into the game. And then we thought we were going to get a replay. Right. Uh, which would have been played. They were playing on the Thursday yes. night, didn't they? After, yeah, they you know, did. Yeah. Oh, they I, I did many of them. Yeah, yes. yeah, Thursday night. And we thought, having gone into extra time, we thought we were going to get a replay and another crack at it. Did it hurt your dad never winning the FA Cup? Yes. Uh, yeah, because it was something uh, he didn't manage to achieve. And uh, having won everything else, uh, then yes, it did. It didn't bother him to the degree of oh, an incomplete career because I haven't won it because of the other things as well. Uh, because of the league cups and the and the football leagues and the and the champ and the European stuff, so didn't bother him that much, but it irked him uh, a little bit, yeah. And obviously that was the best opportunity that he had getting to the final and a couple of semi-finals before that. I think he fancied it one year at Forest when uh, they went to West Brom in the quarter-finals, and I think Sir Regis scored and they lost two 0 I think he fancied it that year that they were that they were going to do it as well, uh, but wasn't to be. No. But what was happening around this particular time was your career had moved on. You became an England international, 14 caps, uh, debut, I think, against Chile. Yeah, of course, your, fa your father had only played twice for England. You, you certainly played more than that, didn't you? That was the only thing. That <laughs> <laughs> I think because he used to say to me when I started playing, you realise that you won't score more goals. <laughs> I said yes. And then when you start out managing, obviously it goes on a, a different scale altogether. But the England Caps was, uh, was one thing. Now, we move on now because all these finals and cups and all this thing culminated in the end, sadly, with Nottingham Forest being relegated from the Premier League. But before we talk about that, uh, you left for Liverpool during the summer of 93, 2.75 million, Nigel. What a bargain. 2.2, something yeah, like that. Graham yeah. Souness, the Liverpool Tribunal. manager, scored twice on your debut against Sheffield Wednesday. Clough finds Nickel. Intricate move by Liverpool. Clough! Yes! What a start for him. Well, that was a cracking goal by any standards. And it's come on Nigel Clough's Premiership debut for Liverpool. What was the thinking behind that move from your point of view? Well, we'd, got re we'd been relegated, but that wasn't the real issue. Uh, my dad had retired uh, at the end of that season, and it was the fact that if, it was ever, if you were ever going to leave, then it was the time to go. A uh, new manager coming in, Frank Clark was coming in, and things were going to change. Uh, and I think when things had been so good for, for eight or nine years or whatever they'd been, uh, it was time to move on. And the opportunity to go to Liverpool as well, I think because of the history of the battles that Forrest had had with them in the 70s and the 80s, and they were trying to get back to the, you know, the former glories, I, I, think, I think the whole thing just seemed to uh, make sense and, and don't regret it at all. Uh, it would have been lovely in an ideal world to stay at Forrest for another five years if everything had stayed the same and you know, my dad had stayed on, but it was, uh, it was time to go to make that break. Well, yes, and of course we'll talk about your dad's retirement in a minute, but one thing before we leave his career, the England job. Hmm. Half the country, if not more, would have liked to have seen him get it. Why didn't he and how upset was he? The main time was when he went for the interview. Uh, I think Ron Greenwood ended up getting the job. I don't know the exact year, but he thought then uh, probably he was at his peak and in his prime. And he thought, I think that was the time uh, that uh, he should have had it. Uh, and of course, he did a sort of under 21, under 19 mm. role for a little time. With, with Peter Taylor. Yeah, and yeah. to, they went to Las Palmas or mm. somewhere like that and uh, ran into a few problems even at that level, I think, where yeah. some England officials were sort of coming in the dressing room before the game <laughs> and uh, were told uh, quite, uh, you know, curtly, uh, I'm sorry, but you, you know, you're not coming in here before a game. So, um, But he, he certainly should have had... Uh, a crack at it purely based on the record of, of, of what he did and what he won uh, you know you, you always want the, I think the nation wants the best manager to be in charge of the national team uh, but another thing like the FA Cup wasn't to be do you think he would, would have been, been interesting would yeah. you think he'd have been a success yeah of course of course <laughs> 
he would have he would have changed uh, probably uh, the way that English football or the way that the England team uh, was managed and the way that things uh, happened. He certainly wouldn't have been a fan of these training camps and just before major tournaments. He would have had a an empathy and an understanding that the players, having played 42 league games and whatever else, cup games, were tired at the end of a season. And I think he was an absolute master at understanding the players and what they needed at the time. And he would have taken them on holiday like he did with the team before going to European Cup finals and things like that. And he would have made sure that they were rested and better prepared for tournaments. Do you think he was ready to retire when uh, Forrest went down? I mean, he hadn't, yeah. probably not in the best of health. No, he wasn't, no. And uh, we still shouldn't have gone down. Uh, we let him down, players, uh, because whatever uh, health he was in, we still should have done better and we had enough to stay up that year. Uh, so we let him down and we let the supporters down uh, by getting relegated that year. We shouldn't have. That was a bigger regret for him and, uh, and sadness than any England job or any not winning the FA Cup. Really? Yes. That was the thing that uh, that when you know if we talked about stuff, the getting relegated and leaving Forest not in the top division uh, after 18 years, that got to him more than anything. And also the fact when uh, when Peter passed away and they hadn't made up and hadn't spoken and made up, and we, me and Simon talk about it regularly and. We blame ourselves for that as well because we should have done something about that. They were too close and too good together uh, for one of them to pass away without making up. There was too many good times. Uh, um, me and Simon and Philip, Peter's son, we should have got together. We should have kidnapped them both, locked them in a bloody room uh, until they were, you know, until they were speaking again. Uh, because they were both too stubborn to do it. And you hope that sometime you bump, you might, because they still went to Mallorca together, they might bump into each other in Mallorca or something like that. And of course, you don't think it's going to happen and it's too late. So that was another big, big regret. And and w when he, he retired from football, I know he did a bit of speaking and things like mm. that. Did he did he still have a, a bit of a life outside of the game? Yeah, well, grandchildren came along and mm. things like that. And uh, they were uh, a great source of uh, happiness. Uh, for him without doubt uh, and then he used to uh, enjoy coming in and watching us at uh, Burton uh, the old ground just over the road non-league uh, he loved how friendly everybody was in non-league you know uh, it wasn't like going to the you know 20 30,000 or whatever stadiums and everything everybody just wanted to come up and say hello and how you doing and things like that he loved the uh, informality and the friendliness uh, of non-league and and just coming just coming to watch. Motty meets with Nigel Clough, a Brian Clough special on Talk Sport. Back to you, Nigel. After Liverpool came Manchester City, spell there. They were playing at Main Road again, mm. weren't they? There turbulent times. Alan Ball uh, yeah. was the main reason. Uh, yeah, yeah. Alan Ball was manager, and he was the, the main reason for going there. Well, you had your little spell there. You returned to Forest for a loan spell briefly under Stuart Pearce when he was caretaker manager. And then you became, well, either manager or caretaker manager of Burton in October 1998, yep. and you stayed 10 years. Player manager. Player manager. <laughs> that was the only reason I think I got the job, because the chairman likes a bargain. Uh, so if he can get two for the price of one, he's getting a player and a manager. Uh, I think that appealed to him. Uh, but you never dream at the time that uh, you're going to stay somewhere 10 years. You're just thinking, you know, let's get through, as you do now, let's get through this season, next season, whatever. You never plan that far ahead, but... Uh, we made progress, coincided with us having our children as well. It was sort of 20 minutes down the road uh, and it was getting a, a sort of a foot on the ladder in, in management and learning because my dad had done it at Hartlepool many years ago and I remember talking to him about it and saying, you know, what do you think? He said, well, give it a go, see, you know, mm. uh, see what happens. And I think everything just seemed to, to fit in to, to take it and... Uh, had some very, very, uh, say, happy times. Tough in non-league, though. It's tough. Yes. You know, the thing is tough in, it is in the Premier League and the Championship, but it's, it's tough in non-league as well, you know, when, you, yeah. uh, when you're going to places and a long, long way away on a Saturday morning, eight, nine o'clock, and you're having a bacon sandwich on the way and that's your pre-match and, you know, you're getting back sometimes from midweek games at three o'clock in the morning and the lads are at work. Yeah. Uh, it's tough. You've seen it at both sides, Nigel, yeah. there's no doubt. Actually, I remember, you won't remember this either, but I remember you coming down to see you play in a, in a, in a conference match at Barnet, which was a local club to me, and it was, it was actually a very sad day because your father had just passed away. The day before, yeah. I remember coming to see you, and yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Sad time for the family. Yeah, it was. But it was one of those where you, you, you know, you stay at home and you cry, or you go, you get back out there and you go to work. And I know he'd have wanted me to go to work. Mm. Now, January 2006, Burton, then in the conference, held Manchester United to a nil-nil draw in the third round of the <laughs> FA Cup. And the team of, that's United's team, featured no, none other than Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, Cristiano Ronaldo and Wayne Rooney. Yeah, well, two of them, he brought them on. Yeah. Yeah, he played a pretty strong team to start with. Uh, PK was playing, I think, and uh, I think Tim Howard was in goal and some of the names, Sahar was up front and uh, some, you know, some went on to be very good players and internationals. And then at nil-nil, uh, at 59 minutes, we've got the thing on the clock. He always used to wait, so I, I thought, for 60 minutes. And he didn't even wait for 60 minutes. At 59 minutes, two substitutes came on and it was Rooney and Ronaldo. And somehow we managed to hold out. And uh, the club uh, is what it is now. A lot to do with that last 30 minutes of that game getting the replay the finances we built the new ground everything goes over budget when these sorts of projects you know that it paid off the debt uh, and it means that they're the, the debt free football club that they are today well you lost the replay but goodness me you were still on the march in the conference uh, December 2008 11 straight wins in the division Burton 13 points clear at the top poised to go into the football league but in January 2009 Nigel Clough becomes manager of Derby yeah, County I know Timing in football is never, ever right. We just wanted another four weeks, honestly, and we'd have, we'd have clinched the title. It wouldn't have been mathematically, but we would. We were, we were that, the team were that good at the time in the conference. And we honestly, the, the thought of taking them into the Football League uh, was... That had always been beyond our wildest dreams. The, the, the aim was to try and get in the conference when we came here, in the Dr. Martin South, so to try and establish ourselves as a conference team and then to be on the verge of the Football League and then for an opportunity to come up. Uh, and it was a very, very tough decision. And there's the chairman here, really, who you know, we've known now for, Robinson. Yeah, we've known for over 20 years, and he, he said, you've got to go. <laughs> well, in the nicest possible in way. Nice possible you way. were following in the footsteps of your father. The people of Derby were absolutely thrilled but they were struggling a bit when you took over, weren't they? Yeah, very much relegation threatened. And a lot of people told us who were around the, the, the club at the time that there was a, there's a whiff uh, 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 of relegation around. And uh, that was certainly the case. And it's, it's still one of our, and I say our, because it's me and the staff and everything, and one of our greatest th uh, achievements is keeping them up that season because they could have easily gone down into League One, easily. Uh, we stayed up with a couple of games to go. Uh, and that's when the, the real work started. Uh, unfortunately, even within that first four months, uh, as you do when you, you join in the January, you know, what if we stay up, what have we got to play with? And uh, we were told that everything that we raised in the summer plus two million, which we thought was OK, you know, no talk of reducing the wage bill. Two or three months later, it was, listen, we've had a think and you haven't got the two million, you've just got everything you raise. And then a week before the end of the season, we were told that we had to raise two million. So within four or five months, uh, the picture had changed considerably. And with hindsight, we should have gone then because that was just a, a warning of what was going to happen. And then four and a half years later, we ended up getting the sack. We'd reduced the wage bill by 60% uh, and had a team that ended up finishing in the top six. But within a month of leaving Derby, you were the manager of Sheffield United. Yeah, it was uh, there and just came up. And it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those clubs, Sheffield United, and Chris Wilder is very close to now achieving really where they should be. One of those clubs that you know can be a, a Premier League club for many, many years. And proper football club, that's what we used to say. Whenever you play there or whatever, go there as a supporter or certainly working, uh, it is a proper football club, proper support, everything. And they were uh, struggling at the bottom end of League One. And all the owners were saying to us at the time when we went in was, can you keep us out of League Two? Can you keep us out of League Two? That was what the concern was. Please keep us out of League Two. And despite, I think we went bottom uh, on the 1st of February, we ended up finished 7th and got to an FA Cup semi-final. Well, I remember that. Whole City at Wembley, having led 2-1 at half-time. Mm. Lost 5-3. Yep. Cool. Had a right go at them, we did. And <laughs> uh, scored three goals at Wembley. And uh, as a League One club, you yes. know, I forget about the thing, it's a, no, League One. Exactly, exactly. It's, a, it's a League One club reaching a major semi-final uh, and we were and very, very close to getting to the final. I remember Steve Bruce afterwards, who was the whole manager, being somewhat relieved that they'd got through because we played well in that, for, well, we played well in the whole game and caused them problems. 
And the following year, you took Sheffield United to the semi-finals of the League Cup, mm. the competition where, of course, you and your dad had so much success at Forest. Semi-final, Sheffield United, Tottenham? We were so close again. We shouldn't have lost the away leg at White Hart Lane. We gave a daft penalty away, I think, Jay, Jay McEvely handball. Uh, and then we got them back to Bramall Lane and we kept saying, lads, even if they score, just hang on in there, hang on in there, you know, anything can happen. And Ericsson put one of his free kicks in, one of the best he's ever scored, in, into the top corner. And uh, we're 2-0 down aggregate. And then just in the second half, we got one back. And then Bramall Lane just, you know, lifts straight away. Uh, within five minutes, we got another one back. And then all of a sudden we're 2-2. Two, two. And little Lewis Reid, who was only 17 at the time, playing in midfield for us, had a great chance to win it just before the end. Uh, and then they went down the other end and Ericsson popped one in uh, and we ended up losing 3-2 on aggregate. But you think how good Tottenham are now. Still the same player as Ericsson and all this. So, you know, as a League One club to be within one goal of them in a semi-final. Mm. Uh, so, so close again. Well, you were... Yet less than a year later, or about a year later, you were you were out of Sheffield United. Got that season, end of that season. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. So having taken them from the bottom of yeah. whatever, finished seventh, then fifth, lost now in the playoffs, two major semi-finals, and uh, despite being asked what, a couple of years earlier, or eighteen months earlier, please just keep us out of League Two. Uh, without any explanation whatsoever, and still not had one, they said they're making a change. They did, and uh, it wasn't long before you were back on familiar ground because you came back to Burton for a second spell as manager. This was uh, when Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank left to join QPR, wasn't it? And, ba- and what, what, how did you do... What was Burton like when you came back compared to how you'd left it? Just to say... <laughs> <laughs> I thought Honestly, you'd say that. You got the same chairman, you got the same, you know, pretty much the same. Uh, we got one or two more members of staff. But generally speaking, nothing, nothing changes here. Uh, it is still essentially a, co- a non-league club at heart. And the fact that it's been in the championship now in League One doesn't change that. This is, this is the level of the club. You know, in, in League One, we are the 22nd best supported club in, in League One. So you can imagine what it was like in the championship. Uh, and we don't have outside, we've never had outside investment. Everything that the club has achieved over 20 odd years has been self-funded, you know. Uh, nobody's put millions in. Somebody was comparing us to Fleetwood, you know, who we lost to on Saturday. And I think their, their chairman's put millions and millions of pounds in. They've got an £8 million training ground, you know. We haven't even got a training ground. It is a, a unique football club in terms of how it's achieved that rise uh, into League One and the Championship. And a big highlight for you, winning promotion to the Championship oh. when you finished second in League One. Yep. Yeah, well, when we took over the top, which uh, Jimmy won his last game, <laughs> yeah, I think against Millwall, and uh, it put them top of the league. And I remember saying to him, thanks, couldn't you just draw? <laughs> or just left us second. Uh, but it was a tough second half of the season because we had to sell the uh, leading goal scorer in the January. Uh, Nasser El Kayati, he went to QPR with Jimmy uh, for financial reasons. So that tells you a lot about the club as well, that, you know, the club's top of the league. Uh, and yet the finances say that you know you have to sell your top your top scorer. Uh, not many clubs would would do that, but still managed to just sneak up on the last day with the most horrendous nerve jangling day at Doncaster, uh, which was actually our son's 18th birthday as well uh, on the day. So uh, that was one of the longest 90 minutes we'll ever have. But we needed the, we got the point that we needed, uh, and just incredible for this club to be in the championship. Well, you had two seasons there, didn't you? And we did, yeah, yeah. 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 And the, staying up the first season, but we ask a lot of people as well, and we say, you know, the club got to the championship, and you'll you know your football, John. Obviously, uh, what was the record transfer fee paid by the club? I don't, do you know what? You'd have to tell me. Up to the getting promoted was twenty thousand pounds. Was it really? Yeah, and the club had gone from the Doctor Martin South and got and to the no championship. Maybe have ever done, done that? Have they? No. No. Incredible, incredible. And this season, <laughs> I suppose some people would say the highlight was getting through to play Manchester City in Definitely. the League Cup, wasn't it? Definitely. Uh, once again, as a League One club, we're extremely proud in three in five or six seasons that we've got to major semi-finals with League One clubs. Mm. You know, uh, and the fact the scoreline uh, always will rankle a little bit. But we see when they put six past Chelsea the other week, it didn't look so, no, <laughs> it didn't look no, so bad. No. Uh, but they are that good and. The gulf between the, the two teams and stuff, and not just in the ability, the final everything, you know, was just absolutely massive. And uh, we gave them a game here, which was nice, uh, you know, the 1-0 in front of the, our supporters and everything. Uh, but they'll never see, a, you know, Sergio Aguero lead a team out of the Pirelli again. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, to get Pep Guardiola here, and these are some of the best best managers, best players in the world. And they've, they've had to come down to the Pirelli in a semi-final yes. of a major cup competition. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, absolutely brilliant. What's been achieved and at Burton, as, as you've said, is, is absolutely amazing. Where, where do you see it going, Nigel? I mean, I, this is a question I ask everybody, and it's always answered probably by saying it's impossible to answer it. Where do you see Nigel Clough and Burton going now? Well, the two are separate entities. Yes, I know. Uh, well, completely we separate. Yeah. One at a time. <laughs> one at a time. Uh, on a personal level, you see what comes up in management. I don't think you can plan maybe even past the end of the season. Uh, as to what's going to happen in football management. We were nicely planning at Sheffield United for another season until we got the phone call saying, don't bother. Uh, so you never know in uh, in football. And our chairman that we've got here is wonderful. He doesn't sack managers. He sacked one in 20-odd years. Uh, so, um, but it's In about... fairness to you, he wouldn't stand in your way either no, that's if something it, that, happened. And that's the thing now. You know, it's an ambition thing, being a, you know early 50s. Uh, if an opportunity comes up, then we were, we were certainly going to have a, a good look at it and hopefully one will. Uh, but in terms of the club, this is this will be one of the most stable football clubs for hopefully whoever the chairman's around as well. He won't spend what we haven't got and it's, it's debt free. He owns the ground and it will always be what it is, just a very, very well-run football club. Right, one final question because Brian Clough obviously played a large part in my life as a reporter, I have to say, and I cherish the memory I really do of meeting your dad and all the ups and downs we had on the microphone I mean you've achieved a lot in your own right I just wondered when you look back was it an advantage or a disadvantage being the son of such a famous football personality advantage of having him as a father right whether it's football manager or not advantage why because of everything that he uh, he taught standards yeah and everything uh, everything that we live by today, uh, we try to live by, uh, comes from him. And obviously, the, your, your upbringing, so much is it down to your upbringing uh, of your parents, uh, and he was one half of that, so uh, a major, major advantage. I've noticed, actually, when you talk about fatherhood, you, you're trying to do things very much the same way, aren't you? Because I remember when you not, first... Not always. Well, no, 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 <laughs> but, but you know what I'm trying to say, because when you first got a big job, you were say, I remember you saying, oh, well, I hope I can still go and do the shopping and pick the kids up from school. And I did, yeah. And I did, and I would still uh, today. Uh, because despite, you know, you asked earlier about what was it like being at home and everything, uh, it, we never ever felt that we weren't a priority or that we weren't important or that, or, or that we were second best to what he was doing. He just did his best in the schedule and, and the job that he had. Uh, he did his absolute best with us. And our times, uh, if, you know, we talked family his holidays you know because that was the time which he having had the long hard season or whatever the holidays were the one where we had the time together as a family and those memories will last forever and not too many regrets no no try not to try to uh, think of the happy times Nigel you made a lot of other people happy and he did too thank you he certainly did thank you the undisputed world heavyweight champion of football commentators in another knockout interview. Motty Meats on Talk Sport. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.